0: Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is
1: Thoroughly Considered. I thought it would be kind of cool to talk about... um... The revenue side of things, um, in particular, where the money comes from, like what sales channels we use and kind of where our money comes from in general. And then more broadly, how as like an independent small business choosing kind of what sales channel and revenue streams you kind of camp yourself in can change the design process in general, right? So
0: for Studio Neat then, what are your main sources of where your money comes from?
1: I actually looked up uh, some numbers to be clear before this call uh, to make sure, like I knew. Um, And in general, um, we have kind of three main parts to uh, our business in terms of revenue. One is direct sales from our website to consumers. So you know, if some person just comes on our website and buys something. Uh, Another part is wholesale so we sell products kind of in bulk to other companies that then sell it to people Um, and then we have a decent amount of our income on amazon.com so we send amazon.com product through their fulfilled by amazon program and um, it's then eligible for prime and all these different things and then they sell it and give us money basically
0: so do you have to just send them like huge pallets of stuff every now and then
1: Yeah, exactly, and and the reason why one of the reasons why we kind of got started with Amazon, well, there's many ways to sell via Amazon, but the way we do it is fulfilled by Amazon, and one of the reasons why we use them is because it's really easy to set up. You basically just like go on their website, set up the like product, and then um, they have like a really cheap UPS rate. So you get the labels through them. You just send them the like boxes, cases of your product, and they like they take it into their warehouse. They keep it there. They handle the customer service, the returns, and all that stuff. So it's it's really, really kind of frictionless to uh, use their system. So that's I think one of the main reasons why we got started. And now Amazon actually accounts for like forty four percent of our revenue a- wow. annually. So it's a huge part of our business, um, and it's nice because uh it's less um spiky it's like pretty like consistent and constant so that's like it's like a nice kind of foundation that we build stuff on
0: so i know for me as a consumer i am a prime uh, subscriber when i want to buy something i go to amazon first to see if i can get it via prime because then i know i'm going to get it quickly
2: Yeah. And that's precisely why we offer stuff on Amazon is for the kind of customer first uh, angle, I guess, where, you know, for each sale on Amazon, we don't make quite as much as we would just selling it through our website. So if our only intention was to just like maximize the margin of our products, then we wouldn't be on Amazon, but... You know, both of us are in the same boat, like we're Amazon Prime members, and that's kind of the first place we go to to look for stuff. So we wanted to serve those customers that are, are, you know, like us, that shop on Amazon primarily. And uh, so that's why we're there
1: and uh to just be specific in terms of like what amazon takes um it depends on the product because it depends on the size and the weight and all the and the price but generally it's a it's between like twenty and thirty uh, percent uh like right off the retail right so if something costs thirty dollars they'll take like ten dollars um so you know it's quite a bit, but it's not as much as say like a typical wholesale uh client or customer would take, so it's kind of like in between. Uh, m- like m- standard retail margins, and then like you know direct to consumer.
0: So is this a good deal then? Like, because th- those numbers that you threw out and comparing them to wholesale and stuff, like I, I can't wrap my head around whether that twenty percent is a good deal for what they're providing.
1: It's real tricky. Um, so the other thing to consider is like they provide free shipping, right? So. Um, from like a customer like service experience point of view on our website, we offer free shipping if it's over like a $50. And so if you look at that and the shipping is usually and the handling, by the way, which uh, is another expense, um, you know, it's not like when it's not comparing Apple to apples. Exactly. Like when someone orders something from our website, it's not like we're getting all of that money, right? If we're doing, if they buy like an eat ice kit, for instance, they'll be getting free shipping. So that's coming out of the revenue and then the handling, which is two to three dollars, which is coming out of the revenue. So, um, you know, it's not exactly comparing apples to apples, it's not like 100 percent, you know, compared to like 70 to 80 percent on Amazon. Um, but so with wholesale, when you're like selling it to a reseller in bulk, uh, they are usually looking for like 50 percent. Uh, margins so like they want to buy it for half the price basically um that's we don't always do that like depending on the quantity if they're buying a lot of quantity we'll go down to that like 50 percent margins for them but usually we're more like in seven like low 70s to like mid 60s um margin wise so it's kind of like a gradient scale but to answer your question i mean yes i think the combination of uh, what, the higher conversion rate on Amazon.com, the fact that they do some advertising and all this stuff, I think it's worth it for us to be giving up, you know, the 20 to 30 points on the margins to have our stuff on Amazon. Um, so it's kind of like the App Store. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's less than the App Store, which is funny, right? Because yeah. they're doing free shipping. They're doing all this stuff. So, yeah, it's not crazy. Do you consider, like,
0: Kickstarter as a revenue source in the same way or do you, or is it something different? Uh, that's kind of, I would say
2: that's something different because well, a for starters, it's not, uh, it's not long lasting, right? It's just Mm -hmm. like a 30 day thing. And then it's over with,
0: it's just a burst.
2: Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wouldn't really put that in the same classification as these other things that are more kind of long tail sustainable.
0: What kind of things make you different to other businesses in this way? Like the other people do the same kinds of things that you do, or do they make different considerations to maybe try and make more money or stuff like that?
1: Well, so um, that gets into the kind of perennial question Dan and I ask ourselves, uh, which is, you know when i was talking about where our revenue comes from uh notice i did not say physical uh traditional retail in there right so um we we almost have zero revenue coming from physical stores where our products are physically and then sold to consumers in kind of the traditional way um and you know it's almost feels like every 6 months it's probably not but it feels that way where um we kind of consider if we should approach that or try that um and we always end up saying no um but i think part of the reason why we like that comes up as like a something as an option for us all the time is it feels like that's what everyone else is doing or that's what a lot of products do right you know they're in physical stores um and So I would say that's one of the big differences. I I don't know if that's a huge difference between us and um, like small indie businesses like us that kind of started on the internet or started on Kickstarter. I don't think we're a standout in that context. But in the context of like all companies that make physical products, I think we're definitely uh, in the minority in that, you know, we're almost all online. Um, And, you know, there's like a million reasons kind of why we aren't doing physical retail and it's it's kind of a big topic but um you know it just comes down to there's a lot of risk associated with it low margins and um and really it gets back to kind of this uh, issue i brought up in the beginning about um like kind of product design and and the sorts of products we we decide to make um we've just never felt that any of our products um Fit super well and would do really well in a physical retail context. Um, I think I want to
0: come back to retail at a later date. Yeah, because I think that it is a whole topic all in and of itself, right?
1: For sure. Yeah, and so yeah, but just I mean, the the short answer is that that yeah, we um, it just doesn't fit right now for us very well.
0: What makes you guys different to other businesses? Like because I know that you. Obviously, you're paying like all the handling fees and stuff because you're not shipping the majority of stuff out yourself, right? You use other parties to do it. Does that make you different to other businesses of your size or people that do what you do?
2: Um, not necessarily. I mean, yes and no. It just all, all businesses are kind of unique and then also similar to other businesses in different ways. So. Just kind of like, uh, you know, the first few companies that came to mind, uh, like our friends CWT, they're similar to us in that they use external fulfillment. But then you have uh, companies like uh, Tatley, where they do all of their fulfillment in house. Where I don't, know if, I don't know if they still do this, but originally they were like <laughs> packaging up, you know, huge. Carts and dropping them off at various mailboxes throughout the city. Cause it was just shipping through USPS, like with a stamp. Um, so they were doing that all themselves. Uh, and then you have companies like cards against humanity that started out, I believe, Amazon only, they were like Amazon exclusive basically. And then they started to shift to fulfilling themselves. And now I think maybe they're moving off Amazon entirely or that might, that might not be true, but, um, they've kind of shifted over time too. So yeah, I, I think it just, uh, it depends and, and all companies are kind of a little bit different in their own ways.
1: I would say we are on an extreme, though. Like, we're almost on the very end of the, like, lean spectrum as you can get, right? So Dan and I both work from our home offices. Uh, we don't have any employees. And that's a very conscious decision. And so I think, especially compared to other companies that make physical products, we are on the end of the continuum. I mean, I don't know, besides cw and I don't know any other company that doesn't have an office, right? So um we are limited in some ways uh in terms of like some of the stuff we can do with fulfillment or how products are packaged um and so yeah i would say we are definitely like on the extreme of a continuum where where we um almost everything is kind of done virtually right like if you were to walk in either of our offices you would never know necessarily that we made like physical products because it's like almost all done via the computer right like we could be just programmers right so um I think we are unique in that way, where we're very, uh, yeah, just very kind of lean and small, uh, and and using um, all these kind of third party services to their greatest, like to our greatest advantage in terms of be, you know having uh, staying lean and and being able to scale and and all those things. And, and that's a lot of the reason why we have made those decisions. Is we we, we like working from home. We like um, having the flexibility um of you know not having an office and being able to have different sorts of products and not needing like for instance you know uh, one of our friend companies lumi um they do almost everything they're a pretty small company but they make they like physically manufacture the products in-house and they ship them they do all the design they do like everything in-house which means they have this huge building that they do everything out of um but it also means that they have this huge building, right? And so they need to keep the revenue coming to service that large building. I would guess that it's some for some product categories it would be difficult for them to kind of switch gears because they kind of have this factory already up and running. Um that's not exactly true for them. They kind of uh do a lot of diverse things too. But so I think um I think we are unique like we're on the end of a spectrum. We're not like super special or crazy, but we're definitely at an extreme, I'd I'd say.
0: Are there decisions that you make that limit the amount of revenue that you can generate because of this kind of stuff? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Dan, I mean, do you want to... I think, in general, um, the fact that... I mean, it's not a real technical limit, but the fact that we um, aren't interested in and are not involved when in large distribution, um, like traditional large distribution, be that physical retail or um, just kind of larger product categories in general, I think that kind of limits um, the company's... Well, it's kind of interesting. It definitely limits the company's revenue, but it doesn't necessarily limit in the same way our personal revenue, if that makes any sense. So if you think about it, I think... Studio Need is in a position where um, there is very large opportunity for Dan and I personally to make a lot of a, a lot of revenue, like per person, like the revenue per person can get really high, right? Because we're in a position where we've set ourselves up where we can scale very easily without adding employees, right? Like we could sell ten times as many product right now and not add an employee. However, um, because we're not a hundred person company. Uh, we can't sell like a million of something a year, right? It's just like never going to happen because we don't have the kind of manpower to, to make that work, right? So uh, the, the business is definitely con- like constrained about the amount of revenue it can, it can uh, make. But, but like personally, I would say that like as a per employee per revenue basis, we are on the other end of the spectrum where we could could make a lot more.
2: Yeah. And, um, to answer this question kind of from a different angle and to take more of a, uh, more of like a macro perspective, um, I would say the two of us are product designers first and, you know, entrepreneurs or business people or whatever word you want to use second or last or whatever. And we're, we're getting better at, uh, considering those aspects as we go along, but, uh, our approach is generally, you know, making great products versus making maximizing, you know, revenue or making the most money we can, which, you know, bluntly is kind of the goal of, of many entrepreneurs and, and certainly, you know, VC backed stuff. Like that's the whole point, right. Is to like make lots of money. That's why they invest in it. Um, and so, Uh, yeah, by doing that, uh, our, our decision process is usually always, you know, product first and then kind of trickles down into these other areas.
1: Yeah. I think the fundamental, I think one of the reasons why Dan and I sometimes have a hard time calling ourselves entrepreneurs is because we're fundamentally interested in building products and not building a business. Um, so the business just exists kind of as to service the product so that we can make products but i I would say a lot of entrepreneurs it's like the flip where they are interested in building the business like the business is the product and we don't have that perspective at all and so yeah we i completely agree with dan i mean we 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 just make a lot of decisions that um don't build a large business
0: (laughs) can you think of any um previous mistakes or missteps that you've had when it comes to looking at things like this, like maybe different channels that you've tried or things, maybe opportunities that you've missed out on because of the way that you decide to, to go about selling your stuff. Uh, I don't.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. And there's a, there's a lot of sides to it. Uh, the, the fir- when you ask that question, the first The path I started going down was not so much sales channels decisions that we would redo, but like product decisions that we would redo. So I don't know if that's what you're getting at with that question.
1: Uh, I think it's it's hard for us to answer because I would say that we haven't made enough course corrections and tried like different things to really know if we've made a mistake like i think if we've made a mistake we're just making it right now (laughs) so i would say that um one mistake that we might be making we easily could be making is being too conservative and too limited in growth in terms of like employees right so you know one of the things we always wrestle with is you know should we hire some employees to help out with the non-design parts of our business, right? Because Dan and I, that's really where we're adding value to the business, right? Is design, uh, product development, that sort of thing. And, you know, but at the same time, we spend a lot of time doing other parts of the business and we're not as good at it or interested in it. And so we don't do it as well, right? So sure, we could easily hire, you know, an operations person, uh, marketing, you know, advertising kind of person um logistics we could hire those people and then dan and i would be able to focus more on designing the products and so you know maybe in five years from now if we say decide to do that we could easily look back and be like why the heck did we wait so long that's that was a big mistake so it it doesn't i can't think of any mistakes that i feel like we've made that i know that we've made but i could easily think that we're making them right now.
2: (laughs) I really appreciate the fact about us that we've stayed purposefully lean. And I've always kind of like hung to this thing. One of my professors in grad school told me who had like a small gaming company. And it was something to the effect of as soon as you hire your first employee, everything changes because you're no longer just, you know, doing something for yourself and, you know, Uh, pushing your chips into the table, but now there's this other human being who is relying on you to, you know, provide a living for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is, you know, something that we don't take lightly. And uh, I I think it's been a a pretty intentional choice on, on our end. So yeah, it, it may be, you know, we come to a point five years from now where it's like, oh, it's, it's time to to hire some help and bring in employees and, and start to do this and that. Um but I don't personally feel like uh that has uh that's been the wrong approach thus far
0: how do some of these decisions that you make when you're thinking about where the products are gonna be sold, how people are gonna get access to them, how they're shipped, how they're fulfilled, what what types of thing how does this manifest in the product? So, like, are there decisions that you make, other considerations that you make at even the design stage that end up informing the way the product's going to look? Like, you look at something and you're like, oh, no, this won't work because of X in the way that we ship it.
1: Yeah, it's almost everything. Uh, and it's not even just about the way the product looks. It's, like, even way before that. I mean, I would say literally and i'm sure dan you can i'm sure you're exactly the same way but like we basically when we the very second that we have an idea for something i think we're constantly evaluating that idea against all of those things you just mentioned um do we have the sales channels to support a product like that Mm -hmm. um what are the volumes of that product and does that match with the sales channels we have um you know price point like pricing does that work do margins work all of those issues are so integral to whether a product is viable or not that i think all along the design process we are constantly that's like almost mainly how we're evaluating the product beyond oh this is how we want it to work it's basically like you know what What is the idea? What is the kind of general idea for the product? And then we go back, we step back and evaluate it against all those factors and see if it will really work out for us. I mean, Dan, do you agree? I mean, that's how I see us uh, like, doing it.
2: I agree like 90%. I think the whole sales channel thing is overblown. Uh, like, if we came up with a great idea. So, like, manufacturing is definitely something we're considering like from the beginning right it's like can this thing even be made like do we have the capacity to make it with the like techniques we know and that are within our reach and then like price point certainly and like how this will be marketing all of those how this will be marketed all those things yeah i'd say we're definitely considering but the sales channel we or at least i don't consider as much because a it's like Selling something online, like you can sell anything online. Uh, and like, if we had a great product idea that hit all those other points, then we can like shift the way we're doing our sales to accommodate that. So uh, this isn't exactly a sales channel, but like, for example, like the Need ice kit, like we had to start a new, we had to hire a different fulfillment center because they could do a step that our current one couldn't do. And so I think we're willing to to be agile and kind of move and change if if the product dictates it rather than letting our
1: existing structure dictate what the product is. Uh yeah, I mean that is a I agree, but I think there's also this issue of scale that is like m- kind of in all of these questions, right? So if, in general you know, Dan and I make pretty small-scale products, right? We're not making, uh, you know, a type of product that sells ten million a year, right? That's in Walmart, and there's just like tons and tons of them, right? And so, because we're typically in a smaller-scale type of product, where you know we might sell multiple thousands a year, but not like a hundred thousand by any means. Um, because we're typically like in that mode, like not like lower volume, kind of higher-end products. That changes the type of product we, I think, think about making, right? So if we were set up to where we had a relationship with Target and we had a couple products in Target and that worked for us and we, it was easy for us to kind of make a you know, $15 item that had, didn't have super huge margins, um, I think we would be making different sorts of products. And so I think just the, the, the simple fact that we are kind of built for a certain scale um, which is completely dependent on your distribution and kind of the way your entire business is set up. I think because we are kind of set up for that scale, it changes the type of product we make. I mean, do you, like, right, Dan? I mean, like, I don't think we would... I don't ever see us making, like, a cheap, high-volume product.
2: Yes, that is true. But we still have a huge... Uh, there's still, like, an order of magnitude s- scale that we can work with so, like, we could make a product that sells 500... And we could also make a product that sells a hundred thousand and like our current, our current system can accommodate both of those. So there is quite, there is a tier that you get up into like beyond, you know, half a million or whatever, when you're into the millions where it's like, okay, yeah, that's just a different ball game altogether. Uh, but I think we just have zero interest in that, uh, and that kind of super cheap, uh, kind of like, you know, Walmart, uh, type of thing.
0: Is there a world where you think a retail deal could come along that you would accept or are you just like blanketly ag- against doing the retail route?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we almost did this neat ice kit. Uh, we were real close to doing it there. Um, and and a big part of that was because a retailer came to us and it fit and it make, makes sense as like a retail item for us. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I we're totally not opposed to it. Um, I think the reason why we keep thinking about it over and over again is because, we, you know, it would be fun to do. It would be cool to see your stuff in stores. Um, it, it's just we want to try something new. We, like, love trying new things um, and learning from that experience. So if there was a good fit and it wasn't too onerous like the terms, I, I think that's what – ends up always stopping us is it just seems like a pain in the butt (laughs) like everything is just like a pain and the upside of it is never that huge in terms of revenue uh it it, at least we think we never know um so yeah i think we would totally love to have and you know i i could easily see us you know somewhat soon having something in physical retail it's just um yeah it's just it just ends up being there's a lot of compromises we just end up not wanting or needing to make like, I mean, Dan, you would, like... I mean, what are the top stores you would want us to have something in? Dan, if you could, like, just... I'm guessing that you... There would be some that you would, like, want to be in, right? Um, Sure.
2: I mean, I I don't know of any off the top of my head. But, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, you know, same with you. I'm, we're not opposed at all to retail. Uh, But I, I think one kind of shift in thinking that maybe needs to happen for us is it's um it's kind of like advertising in a lot of ways where uh you know uh, our our hope and our expectation a lot of times when we do advertisements, whether it's like a podcast sponsorship or whatever, where it's like oh this this uh people are gonna hear this ad, they're immediately gonna go to studio dot com and buy one of our things and like we'll recoup the cost of the ad and then some uh from the people that heard it. Uh, But that's not typically how ads work, right? You know, sometimes you have to hear it two or three times before it it registers or uh, you have to see someone else tweet about it before you're kind of reminded of it. So it doesn't quite work in this direct way. And, And I think a lot of times we have to come to terms with that in terms of just like how advertising works. And I think retail is kind of a similar thing where it's maybe not correct to look at it as this super money making thing, but just a way to spread awareness about our products. So, for example, I've heard from uh, a couple people that have stuff in the Apple store is just like, oh, yeah, the margins are so terrible that it's basically break even for us. Like we don't make money by oh. being in the Apple store, but it's just kind of worth it because the exposure is incredible like you can't you can't beat the exposure of your thing being on a shelf in an Apple store if it's you know an Apple accessory.
0: Yeah, but what does that do for you though if you're not making any money on it? I think it just if like
2: you know this has been said before but like uh, our enemy is obscurity. Uh, so just like the, the more people that know about your thing, the more there's word of mouth and then the more people are buying it, maybe not at the Apple store, but you know, yeah,
0: hopefully not at the Apple store then. Right. Right. So,
2: (laughs) so, so that's, that's the fear, right? Is, uh, we put our stuff in the Apple store and just 100% of our customers buy it from the Apple store instead of through us or whatever. And then it's like, oh, we're making $0 now. Like that's, that's the fear. And I don't think that's a a realistic
0: fear, but. Like what is that? It's just Apple one, not just. They're just like kind of screwing people on the on the right. Uh,
2: yeah, and I don't know how I don't know the specifics of what the margins are, but it's just like they have an incredible weight, right? Like they can kind of uh, they can kind of call the shots because it's you know a privilege to be in the you know
0: kind of very limited shelf space that they have. Yeah, like the most was it the most profitable per square foot? Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, it is a premium to be there is an honor. It's prime advertising space but that's, I guess that's how you have to treat it, right? It's not a place that you're going to sell your stuff. You are advertising your product by being physically in that store.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And I think Dan, Dan and I have always been, have always wrestled with that kind of idea. Like we really love the idea of a very simple business that has no tricks and it's very direct. It's like, Oh, how is, how does like, what studio needs business model where our business model is we make things, we sell them to people. And then every time we sell something, we make money from selling that. Right. It's like, (laughs) it's a very simple, very simple approach. And so whenever we start getting into these situations where it's like, oh, well, we can spend X amount of dollars on advertising because we know or hope that it's going to come back around and, you know, be better in the long run, we we're just more comfortable having it be simple and direct and kind of more of a known quantity. And so I think that keeps us from, you know, doing a lot of things. I think that's why we use Kickstarter a lot too. It's just like a very simple and direct way to approach something. I mean, the opposite approach, right, or the other approach is like raising capital, right, from an investor. And that just comes with a lot of other issues that I think we're a little uncomfortable with. So I think in general, I mean, I agree, Dan, that we need to get better about just having faith and kind of taking more of these risks in terms of advertising and you know maybe distribution and physical retail i think it's just our we just both really like the simplicity of you know direct sales and it just makes a lot of sense to us but uh you know we need to uh, i think it's you know we need to kind of branch out more slow process are
0: there any parts of your current setup? um that are specific pain points for you that you struggle to fix because of the constraints that you're in um
2: i, I mean it's all kind of a pain point in a way like it, it's it's all pain <laughs> it's just uh all of the like logistics and making sure inventory is stocked in these various places and now we have four warehouses that have our stuff, not including Amazon stuff. Uh, Yeah. It's it's like the kind of the least fun part of the job is just like all the logistics stuff and, you know, making sure inventory is stocked and stuff. So it's, it's fine. Like it it works and and we figure it out, but it always,
1: uh, it's never really fun. Yeah. And I mean, the, and the decisions we've made to, Make that a pain in our butt is, you know, like Dan said, we have like five warehouses counting Amazon. And so we, because we're doing this third party fulfillment and it's not in house, it's all scattered across the world, right? Like where our warehouses are. So that means we have to deal with like shipping and and the lead times get, we can't be nimble, right? It's like for us to send product, like with the remote stands we're making right now, like we've made over a thousand, they're out away from us, but it's still going to be like several days before a lot of them ship because they have to get they have to get, you know, they have to arrive at the warehouses Then the warehouses has to like process them, which takes a couple of days and then ship them. And so because we have chosen to have this approach where we are outsourcing a lot of that fulfillment logistics, that means we have to manage it. Uh, like and it takes you know time and things are kind of spread out and there's more communication whereas if we had all that in house like we had our own warehouse and we had our own staff um, yeah of course we'd have to manage the staff and, and and stuff like that but at least it would be quicker and closer and we could like address problems quickly so yeah i, I mean i completely agree the first thing i thought of when you asked that question mike was yeah like logistics Uh, It's just a total pain in the butt, and it feels like work that you shouldn't even be doing, like a computer should be doing it or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I I imagine that there are a lot of parts where you kind of just have to make calculated and educated guesses. Yeah, it's crazy. Right, where you're just kind of like, I think this will work, let's just see, and then you just have to see what happens.
1: Well, it's like, okay, for instance, Dan and I plan, like... Say we when we were planning for how many glyphs we want to have in stock for this upcoming holiday season, we were talking about that in March.
0: Holy moly!
1: <laughs> yeah. How so, do you get into that? Like
0: into that cycle? Like when do you realize we need to start planning Christmas
1: in March? We're always behind the ball, and so it's been a slow process of like earlier and like figuring out that we need to think about this stuff earlier and earlier because th- this is why it's crazy uh you know say we decide okay we do some planning let's take a huge guess we're gonna sell you know uh five million glyphs over the holiday season i wish uh so we're, let's say we're gonna sell five million of them uh we have know. we've sold not even one percent of that uh say we sell uh you know we have to submit a PO to our manufacturer. And, you know, the Glyph uh, has, I think, like f- six different companies that parts come from. So, PO is a purchasing order, right? Yeah, purchase order to all of those companies with a quantity that we're guessing, right? Which is, a, it's like, pulled out of our butt, right? Um, then they have to make all those, that product.
0: Is it pulled out of your butt, though?
1: Yeah, I mean, we use past year sales right. to
0: make an educated guess it's an informed thing but it's but it is guessed
1: yeah but it could be like you know three thousand or five thousand let's just pick one okay you know that's what it feels yep. like in yep. the after we do all of our thinking about it it ends up still being like okay and so you know we have they have to make all that stuff it has to get assembled somewhere you know all it, ha- it can't get assembled until the very last part is made and at the assembly place. And so, you know, sometimes something's delayed by two months and, you know, you have to wait. So it's just crazy that uh, it just, t- you know, these things take so long um, and, th- and it's just not direct. And so that's also, I would say, another big downside of us uh, building the company where everything is kind of outsourced and out of our direct control because we have you know we're dependent on other people's timelines right mm-hmm. so it can get kind of loopy but um but i think it works and it, and we'll get better and you know we built some internal tools to like help us track you know uh inventory and like l- like levels of stock and stuff and so i think we're getting better and better but yeah it's just kind of crazy when you think about it
0: <laughs> last time we were talking about the apple tv stand right and you know we've mentioned it a few times that like obviously the the way that the money comes in and the way that the product goes out is slightly different for this one than maybe some of your other stuff because it was like completely direct right there was nothing that happened beforehand there was no Kickstarter or anything like that it was kind of just like pre-orders that came in and went out um, so one how was that process like for you guys and then two how is it actually going now like give me an update on what's going on there.
2: uh it's I mean it's going well uh we've got kind of our routine down of how to make these things um I will actually be putting a video out later this week, hopefully uh just showing. Uh, the process of how these things are made.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, where where yeah. can people find that, by the way? Just so uh, Good question. Uh,
2: it'll, well, we'll probably link it on the product page for the remote stand. It'll just right. be like a Vimeo video and we'll tweet it out and stuff too.
0: So I will put in our show notes, a link to the remote stand page and to your Twitter account. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I think
2: we've shipped out about 1300 to our warehouses and so, like Tom said earlier, they'll that'll take them a couple days to process. Some of them already shipped to customers, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what we've learned is, uh, well, we sold many more than we thought we would. So, this is taking, you know, this has been basically <laughs> two weeks straight of just making these things and and you know having late nights, uh, you know, stuffing envelopes and stuff. Little splinters. That's well. Tom can speak more to that. <laughs>
1: Not so much splinters, no. <laughs> they come out pretty clean, so it's not too bad. Yeah. Uh So it's going well, and we both uh,
2: actually really enjoy this kind of just like monotonous manual labor. Like I've already... I'm already in season three of Kirby enthusiasm, just like as I'm putting, you know, the, 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 the suction backs onto the back of these things. So it's actually kind of nice and a nice kind of like mindless, uh, change of pace. Um, but the real question is like, uh, is this actually a, a new way of us doing things? Like, do we want to to get ourselves in these situations where we're having to like dedicate two or three weeks straight of just you know manufacturing a product um you know that's a question
0: is the money better
1: uh you mean like margins wise um well this product's really tricky because it's so it's like the cheapest thing we've ever sold really so it feels i think that's not the case but if
0: if you did it by percentages maybe it would be different right
1: yeah, it's really hard. I, it's funny, you know. I was listening to Cortex with you and Gray, and he was talking about how he has a really specific number for what his time, like, is worth. Um, and I don't think Dan and I have that number, and so it's really hard for us to know, you know, if we're sitting there for four hours, like, you know, applying tongue oil to this like piece of walnut, like, really, what is that costing us? Like, what's the opportunity cost there? So. That's a really hard question to answer. I mean, certainly on face value, it is a lot cheaper for us to make these things, like probably half the price. But what are we sacrificing, you know, with these couple weeks that we're doing this? So I don't have a good answer for that. It doesn't – I don't think – Like, well, maybe to answer your question more directly, we are considering thinking about, okay, how can we have someone else at least do some of the steps of this product going forward just because – you know, it doesn't... Like, we can't keep doing this, right? Uh, it won't work, so...
0: That kind of answers the question, really. That no matter whatever the margins are, you guys are not prepared to, to continue doing it this way because it just doesn't work for your business.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: If this continues to sell really well, or even moderately well, then there's always going to be an amount of time that Dan and Tom are slaving over a CNC machine.
1: Yeah, and... Uh, That might be fine. Like it might slow down to the point where it's just not an issue. It's like every three months we just do it for a couple hours and it's not a big deal, right? And so in that case, it's not worth it. But um, yeah, more than that, it wouldn't be. But I I definitely think it's somewhat convinced us that this is something that – it is a method that is like – could work for the product, right? Um, So depending on where we think the product's going to go, you know, we might try it. And, you know, if if this remote stand didn't kind of get all the attention that it did, it would have been perfectly fine. We'd be done by now and, like, you know, no big deal. But, you know, I think it's it's definitely worth the trade-off. But, uh, I don't know, it's been interesting and fun. And I could see us easily doing it again. But um, definitely we're not, like, going to buy a warehouse and get some employees and just, like, start making everything in-house.
0: Yeah, Okay. I mean, that, that seems like a, a good way to do it, I guess, right? I mean, I guess you feel good about it because you know you've got a, a decent product that you've been working on and you've done them yourself, so now you probably understand the process. So if you do decide to offload it, I guess you know quite a bit about how you want it to be done. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, definitely. That and, and that's really actually what we would love to have this turn into is, or what I would, is... It would be really great if we could figure out a way to where, like, for, you know, certain products, maybe we make the first 200 or something um, internally. And then we learn from that, knowing full well that we're going to transition it to external uh, manufacturer later down the road. Um, And the real advantages of us making the first batch in-house is, A, what you just said, we learn a lot about how it needs to be made. You know, all what are the issues, all that stuff, how we can tweak the design. The other bit is, and why we did the remote stand the way we did it, was we have a lot of flexibility in terms of timing, schedule, making sure the first ones are just right, that sort of thing. Uh, we can ease into the process. We don't have to have these huge minimum order quantities. So I- I'm looking forward to opportunities in the future where we have a product where we could do it in-house really well. And we learn a lot from that. And then we kind of ramp it up. The downside is, and as Dan you know, mentioned the other day, the launch of these products is when you have the most of them <laughs> that you need to make typically. So it's like the opposite approach you should be taking, right? So I don't know how we could really make it work where we get to do what I just said, where we kind of ramp into it. But it would be nice to find some opportunities where that makes sense. I mean, it could be like some limited edition thing or something, but that doesn't really make sense for us. So. We'll see, but uh, it would be nice to kind of use this approach again.
0: It's only going to teach you more stuff, right? Like about further oh, yeah, design further. and all that kind of stuff. You're only just going to learn more and more from that.
1: Yeah. Like, for instance, we had the design locked for this remote stand, like the little gap, like the little pill gap that the remote sits in. We had it locked, and we would have sent it off to the manufacturer if we are doing it third party. But because I had until the day before the bulk of the wood arrived, I did 17 more versions of the <laughs> geometry of the internal to test it out. And really what that means is like, you know, is this gap, you know, changing like a thousandth of an inch, you know, and the length and the radius and all this stuff to see what the best fit is. So we could only really, we can do that because it's in-house, right? So there are some big advantages from a design manufacturing point of view where we can kind of make those tweaks to the last minute.
0: 17 different versions
1: it's the way we roll thoroughly considered
0: <laughs> boom i don't think we can go any further than that there was something i wanted to mention <laughs> that we didn't mention on last week's show which is the studio neat gazette which is a lovely little um email newsletter that you guys send out um, and i wanted to just point people over so they can go and sign up for it so again i'm going to put a link to that in the show notes which is a it's a, it's studio neat dot com slash pages slash gazette right something to, um, I,
1: just slash gazette also works okay I'm cool there sure. you
0: go so studio slash gazette and you can sign up for the lovely email newsletter that the guys do my favorite thing is the little illustrations of tom and dan which you will <laughs> want to see because they're super cute and i kind of want one um just for fun
1: can maybe make that happen maybe,
0: maybe all right guys is there anywhere else that you'd like to point people for things that they should be looking out for over the next couple of weeks
1: Uh, There will be some things coming up. So if you uh, either the Gazette or just our general newsletter, which you can find in the footer of StudioNeat.com. If you're not on either of those, uh, that's kind of where we do all of our talking to people besides here. So um, I would I would go there and sign up.
0: Great. Thank you so much
1: for listening. Yeah, thanks.
0: Thoroughly considered is a joint production of Relay FM and Studio Neat. If you'd like to find links and information about this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm/tc/4. You'll also find all of our links there to follow us on Twitter. I am at iMike. Dan is at Dan Provost, and Tom is at Tom Gerhart. And of course, you can find them at Studio Neat. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time.